You know, the, uh, the week didn't end up quite like it started. The week began by Jesus being ushered into Jerusalem as a king, worship and exalted. But now, a few days have passed and things have radically changed. The singing of praise have become cries of crucify him, crucify him. The rejoicing Jesus' followers had experienced, it's moved more towards concern, fear, confusion. You see, they never watched now as the Roman guards came and took Jesus away, arrested him and took him away. Betrayed by Judas, one of their friends. And in their confusion and fear, most of them deserted him and fled. Only a couple, John and Peter, just two of the ten, even dared to follow and see where Jesus was being taken and see what was going to happen. When Peter gets there, he gets questioned. And they ask him, aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? And he adamantly denies that three times. I don't even know him, he says. When he realized what he had done, he goes away and he weeps bitterly. And what about Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus? Judas actually walked with Jesus, was friends with Jesus for three years. And now he betrayed him. And the next day, he would end his own life because of what he had done. It had become a dark, dark time. You see, it was just the previous night that they were with Jesus in the upper room, Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus had washed their feet, and they were enjoying supper and the Passover meal together. And now, such a short time later, everything had changed, and darkness seemed to be consuming the light. And Jesus, now at the hands of his captors, they, where they made a thorn, a crown thorn, and they shoved it on his head. As they gave him a staff, and they bowed down before him, and they mocked him, and they said, Hail the King of the Jews! as they then took that staff and would repeatedly hit him in the head as they spit on him and mocked him. Ripping off the robe and putting on his own clothes, they then led him away to be crucified. And Jesus had to hold his own cross. He carried his own cross through the city and out the city. And as he did that, he went through just people Many, many people that would mock him and throw things at him and spit at him. He also carried his cross in front of his family, in front of his friends and followers, as they had to watch him suffer in agony. How could this be happening to Jesus? He was our hope. He was our savior. He was the king that we have been waiting for. But now, it seemed like there was nothing but hopelessness. Nothing 
but suffering. Nothing but darkness and death awaited him. Then they watched as his hands and his feet got nailed to the cross and he was lifted up and placed in between two common criminals, two thieves that were being crucified next to him. And the insults continued. You said, tear this temple down and you'll build it in three days. Well, then save yourself if you're the king of the Jews. You said you're the savior of the world. Come down from that cross. Save yourself and then we will believe. Jesus finally speaks while hanging on the cross and I can only imagine there's a moment of contemplation and quiet as he is saying something and what Jesus says was Father Father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing but the darkness continues to grow darker. And then one of the thieves on the cross acknowledged Jesus and said, we deserve to be up here. With what we did, we deserve it. But you're an innocent man. You've done nothing wrong. Jesus, when you enter into your kingdom, just remember me. Remember me. And Jesus looks at this man and he says, truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Even then, Jesus had compassion for someone else. Even at his death, he was kind to a neighbor and he spoke of forgiveness. Forgiveness for those that were crucifying him. Forgiveness for the man that was a criminal, a sinner that was dying next to him. Forgiveness for you and forgiveness for me. But the insults and the suffering continued, and the darkness grew even darker. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness came over the whole land. And even though it was midday, the sun stopped shining. And after many hours of pain and suffering, of rejection and loneliness, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, the darkness of the soul when we go through pain and suffering. God, where are you? Was not just the call of his followers, that were watching this, but it was the call and the cry of Jesus' own heart as well. But maybe there was some shred of hope that remained because his last words finally came. And Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he breathed his last. All hope was gone. Death had won. Their king 
was defeated. It had become dark, darker than they ever could have imagined. There was a centurion guard. And seeing what happened, he praised God and he said, surely this was a righteous man. And then there were all the people, these people that will come out to gather to watch the crucifixion. These people, after they witnessed what had happened, it says that they beat their breast as they left. What did we just see? But all those who knew him and followed him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, they, they stood at a distance and they watched these things. It had become quiet. You see, the insults have stopped. The suffering and the agony was over. Darkness seemed to have consumed the light. Jesus was dead. And so it begins. King Jesus. Unlike any king that anyone could have imagined. Born in a barn from a peasant family, living under the oppression and injustice from a brutal occupying force his entire life. As a baby, he was a refugee fleeing from violence, raised in a poor squatter's village. He had no earthly possessions, no earthly power, no earthly stature. He was never served by others, but only giving his life to serve others. He didn't have soldiers by his side as any earthly king would, instead a devoted gathering of men and women dedicated to living a life of love and kindness to everyone. He wasn't lifted high on a throne, ordained with gold and jewels, but instead was crowned with thorns, nailed to a cross, and lifted up in humiliation to die as he was born in shame. That's King Jesus. And on that Friday, when he breathed his last, when he gave up his spirit, when he died for the sins of the world, that was a dark, dark day for his followers. And then Saturday was the Sabbath. It was the day of rest. And so they were lost in their brokenness and in their loneliness, in silence and in grief. But then on Sunday morning, a handful of his disciples went to the tomb to prepare his body as was the custom of the time. And he wasn't there. They were confused. Did somebody steal the body? What happened? And then they met the resurrected Jesus. And then all through that Sunday, Jesus met personally with every single one of his core disciples. And then over the next seven weeks, he would meet with hundreds upon hundreds of disciples. At one time, meeting with 500 disciples at once, the resurrected Christ encouraging them and equipping them to advance the cause of Christ by moving forward what Jesus called the kingdom of heaven a whole new reality of love and of grace and of service and of forgiveness and kindness. Philippians 2.9 says that the resurrection, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. At the resurrection, Jesus was crowned king of a whole new world, a world of love called the kingdom of heaven. And so it began. A whole new world began at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a skeptic, as I am, I'm skeptical of everything. I'm annoyingly skeptical. I never believe anything anybody tells me, right? You might need something more than just the religious platitudes. 
And if you don't trust preachers as far as you can throw them, and who can blame you? I'm going to read from maybe a source that's more trusted to you, and that's the Wall Street Journal. I actually uh, prepared a little message, and my wife said, hey, you got to read this Wall Street Journal article. And I read it, and I threw out my message and started over. In fact, sometimes on Easter, people say, boy, you're heading into a, a busy Easter Sunday, right? And it's like, well, not this time. I'm reading from the Wall Street Journal. It's going to be actually very easy. Here's what it says. The first Christians in the first century were baffled by the resurrection. They knew Jesus rose from the dead, but they were figuring out what it all meant. But their struggle to understand the resurrection brought about astonishing success for their early faith. Because of the profound implications of the resurrection, Christianity became the dominant faith of the Roman Empire. Now keep in mind, during the first three centuries after the death and resurrection of Christ, being a Christian was illegal. And there were waves of intense persecution where leaders would be ripped from their families, ripped from their homes, crucified, fed to lions, fed to dogs, and yet Christianity was thriving. In fact, after 250 years, Christianity became the dominant religion, so much so that up to half of the Roman Empire were followers of Christ in an illegal religion. Again, to quote the Wall Street Journal. So how did a ragtag band of nobodies from the far edges of the Mediterranean become such a dominant world force in just 250 years? According to one scholar, Rodney Stark of Baylor University, he says this, quote, Christians modeled a nobler way of life than what was offered elsewhere in the rather brutal societies of the day. The world was tired of, of the violence and the corruption and the mistreatment of people. And here is this, this band of ragtag Christians that emerged from within the Roman Empire from a leader who was crucified by the Roman Empire, and, and they lived such a life of love and grace that the entire empire takes notice. And one by one, they start following Jesus, following Jesus. What were some of the markers of this early Christian movement? Well, there's three in the article. One was that women were respected. Women were not respected in the Roman Empire, but in the church they were. Uh, Christians were also taking care of people as the norm. They loved people, they took care of people. In an age of plagues and disease, Christians were known for not only taking care of their own sick, but taking care of the sick throughout the community without discrimination. In Christianity, family was central. Christians had large and thriving families and they had a biblical vision for healthy committed marriages and giving careful attention to the raising of children. And so people looked at Christian families and said, that looks pretty good to me. They looked at Christian love and service, that looks pretty good to me. They looked at how they treated everybody with dignity and respect, that looks pretty good to me. And in such a stark contrast to the culture of the time, they signed up in droves. This is known as the Easter effect. A new life in Christ by the resurrection of Christ created a new community that drove the world to it. Again, to quote the Wall Street Journal, quite simply, the encounter hundreds of early followers of Christ had with the risen Jesus empowered them to live boldly with courage and with a vision of a whole new world of loving everyone everywhere. Now, there's two implications of this Easter effect. The first is very obvious, and that is that death is not the end. I mean, when you're staring at somebody who rose from the dead, uh, that's quite encouraging. Because before the resurrection of Jesus Christ, death was just this ominous black force that swallowed up everybody equally. It doesn't matter who you are, you end up getting swallowed up by death. Then Jesus rises again from the dead, changed everything. Now there's evidence 
that there is life after death. And, and there is a faith that has emerged following Jesus Christ that has victory over everything that swallows us up, whether it's our failures, suffering, injustice, and death itself is defeated in Christ. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. And so this early church didn't have to live with the fear of death. They didn't have to live with the fear of anybody. They didn't live with the anxiety about things going wrong in the future because they understood their life was forever. And this life was a, a first step, but it wasn't the end. They lived with power. They lived with great purpose for their lives. They didn't have to live for themselves. They lived for a higher calling. They lived to bring a whole new reality of love to this world. They envisioned a world of unconditional love just as Christ taught, what Jesus called the kingdom of heaven. They simply followed Jesus. And, and so Jesus practiced the kingdom of heaven as he loved everyone. Jesus taught the kingdom of heaven and equipped his disciples to advance the cause of Christ. And Jesus died to pay the price for the suffering and the sin and the failures of the world, he took it all upon himself and died to it and rose again from the dead on the third day so that everybody would know that the kingdom of, hell, of heaven prevails. The kingdom of love prevails and the kingdom of love is forever. That gave people great hope and great encouragement. See, the Easter effect caused followers of Christ to live without fear, live without fear of death, live without selfishness and live with a boldness to change the world around them. Again, to quote the article, the early church began to grasp that what happened to Jesus is not just about him, but it's about us. His eternal destiny is our eternal destiny. His eternal hope is our eternal hope. And so being with Jesus isn't just following him from 2,000 years ago. Following Jesus is about a life lived right now, the resurrected life of Christ. We get to live right now. As the kingdom of heaven came uh, from God the Father through the Son to us, we now receive that love, we receive that grace, we receive that forgiveness, and we can give it to the world even now. Death is not the end, and our lives have an eternal calling. The second implication of the Easter effect is that everyone was treated equally. The kingdom of heaven is all about love. So when people gathered together in what they called the church, a word that simply means the gathering, as people gathered together as followers of Jesus Christ, they came from all over the place, and they treated each other as equals. That was unheard of in the ancient Near Eastern culture. Jews and Gentiles were equal. I mean, that's crazy. For hundreds of years before Christ, Jews and Gentiles hated each other. They blamed each other for all societal ills. It was like law, you gotta hate each other. And then they started meeting in churches together. And at first they tolerated each other, you know, with that side eye. And then they shared stories and became friends. And then they started calling each other brothers and sisters. And the whole Roman Empire was like, what are you doing? You're supposed to hate each other, and yet you're calling each other brothers and sisters, giving each other bro hugs in public. like, what are you doing? You know, there, there, there should be hate and violence, and, and yet there's love here. All races and ethnicities were equal in the church because they're equal in the kingdom of heaven. Men and women were equal in the church. That wasn't the case in the ancient Near Eastern uh, cultures. Uh, the men would sit in the main auditoriums. The women would be behind a fence covered from head to toe, not in the church. In the church, rich and poor were equal. In society, rich would be in front, poor would be in the back, the nosebleed sections, right? Just like in an NFL game. Not true in the church. Not true in the church. Everybody was equal, sitting together. The healthy and sick were equal. In ancient times, the sick were considered to be cursed by God or cursed by the gods, and the healthy were blessed. In the church, they had a more mature understanding, and they treated each other as equal. Jew and Gentile, all races, men and women, rich and poor, healthy, sick, powerful, and the powerless all equals in the kingdom of heaven, and so they were equals in the church. 
This was brand new. It was revolutionary. Never before had the world experienced such love in a community, a vision of equality and respect and dignity for all. This new community was called the church. And that's the Easter effect. It is about this reality that that death is not the end, but it's also about the reality that this new life is a life lived in love, a resurrected life of love, loving everyone everywhere without condition, without having to think of ourselves first, finding our pleasure in the betterment of other people, just as Jesus did. A new life of being loved and loving like Christ. The Wall Street Journal article ends with this paragraph. Regardless of the mystery of the resurrection, we can't ignore that curious and inexplicable joy that marked the early Christian church, even as they were being marched to their execution. Was that joy just simply a mass group delusion, or perhaps it was the Easter effect? The joy of people who were convinced that they experienced something inexplicable but true, the resurrection of Christ, something that erased the fear of death and gave a superabundance of meaning to life, a life of love. A life of love. And that life of love is received and that life of love is shared. It's shared to the world. So not only did half of the Roman Empire after 250 years place their faith and trust in Christ, but right now about a third of the world's population is gathering in churches all over the world to honor this King Jesus, a king unlike any other king, a king who gave his life to forgive the sins of the world, to bring us into a right relationship with God so that we can enjoy new and eternal life a new life of love. Better than the Wall Street Journal, let me read Ephesians chapter two, verses four through eight, and just just see the Easter effect through this beautiful passage. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that for all ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now get this. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Saving grace, forgiving grace, the love of God is free. It is free. And so on this Easter day, I'm gonna ask you, If you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you've never received his love, never received his forgiveness, then do it right now. And some of you are thinking, okay, here comes the preacher boy, you know, trying to convert me to a religion. I'm not trying to make you religious. In fact, I don't even want you to be religious. You know the religious type, right? Grumpy, judgmental, uptight, and we don't need that. We're not asking you to become religious. You do not have to become religious to follow Jesus Christ. It's pretty simple. We believe that he's the full expression of God the Father, love and grace and mercy. We believe he gave his life to forgive sin and rose again from the dead to defeat death and to give us eternal life. We simply are with him. It's not about signing up for any religion. You don't have to be religious. I'm not even asking you to be moral. Some of you are thinking, you know what? I'm not the church type. I just don't have this buttoned up kind of churchy life. Listen, nobody does. And if anybody pretends they do, they're totally faking it. I'm not asking you to be moral. Steve talked about the, um, the thief on the cross, right? The, the thief who died next to Jesus. Did he have a lot of time to get his life all tidied up for God? Hardly. God is more concerned with us knowing how deeply he loves us than he is with us getting our life squared away to meet some religious standards. 
We should not be in the business of moral policing. We should be in the business of expressing God's grace and love and mercy to the world that is unconditional. And then just watch how love truly transforms the heart to make us more loving, which is the goal anyway, right? Would you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? It's a free gift. Now, some of you may never have darkened the door of a church before, and you're here. Some of you might be with somebody who said, hey, let's go get a breakfast. Everybody's in church, and it's April Fool, so they drove you here. <laughs> I'm going to get you. <laughs> Wait till next year. <laughs> Some of you may have been away from church for a long time, and I don't blame you. Church can be a nasty place, but you're back. And maybe you came, and maybe you're, you're, you're braced for the judgment, the guilt, the hellfire brimstone, you know, the standard stuff, and, and that's not what you got today. You got God's grace. Would you receive that today? I'm going to pray. And as I pray, it's just a simple way of expressing, and you can do this in your own heart, expressing that I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. I want to receive that love from God, and I want to be a more loving person. I'm with Jesus. Then I want to give you an invitation. Some of you um, may want to be baptized today. There's a baptism pool out there. It's a nice heated pool, beautiful day. And that water that pours over you is the symbol of being cleansed as a free gift of God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ, just knowing the refreshment of his love for you. You might want to get baptized today. We've been baptizing people all morning long. Uh, what better date to be baptized than April Fool's uh, 2018, Easter Sunday, right? Uh, let me pray. God, we thank you for your love and mercy through Jesus Christ. We have had an experience this morning of grace the grace of Jesus Christ who came and lived as a commoner among us, came to serve, not to be served. He came to give his life, to take upon himself the suffering, the sin, the injustice of the world, and to die for it, to pay the price for it. Then on that third day, rose again from the dead so that death would not be the end and so that a new life of love would be resurrected. And so we thank you for calling us together as the church, gathering us together as men and women, still following Jesus Christ 2,000 years later, receiving his love and sharing it with the world. We receive his grace. We receive his forgiveness. We receive his death as payment for our sin. We receive his resurrection as the free gift of new and eternal life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.